0: Find the life you didn't think was possible with the Jesus you never knew. Together, let's slow down a little and pay better attention to the most significant person in history. Welcome to the podcast, Paying Ridiculous Attention to Jesus, with your host Rick Lawrence, brought to you by Lifetree. Visit us at JesusCenteredLife.com Well, hi, friends. This is Rick Lawrence. You might have forgotten my name by now. It's been quite a while since I recorded an episode of Paying Ridiculous Attention to Jesus. In fact, last year, in all of 2022, I think I only recorded four, uh, seven episodes. So yes, it was one of those years. But one of my momentums coming into 2023 is to get back to what I love so much, which is... Delving deeply into the heart of Jesus on this podcast. So this is season eight, episode one of Paying Ridiculous Attention to Jesus. And it's actually, we're going to continue the series that I started last year called The Ways of Jesus. So essentially we're, we're pursuing the heart of Jesus as we always do. And this particular angle is we're taking a deep dive into the way that he lived and the way that he loved others. This is what it means to walk in the way of Jesus, is to let his lifestyle and his priorities and his value system and, his, and the way that he responds to people seep into our identity. So then we're not really disciplining ourselves to be like Jesus, because that's, well, frankly, impossible to discipline yourself well enough to be like Jesus. But he did say that if we attach ourselves to him like a branch attaches to the vine, that we would share in his life and his very identity, that we would be adopted into his family. And when you're adopted into a family, you're adopted into the culture of that family. They shape and form you into a son or daughter, so much so that people outside that family would be able to know, well, yeah, that's a that's a son in that in that family, because they're they're unmistakable. <laughs> They're unmistakable in that family. Well, that's what Jesus wants. He wants us to um, so adopt his heart into our heart that we begin to live and love like he does. So that's what this series is about, is discovering the ways of Jesus and drawing near to him as part of that. So again, this is the fifth episode, and this episode is called Life Over Death. So let's... Let's jump in. Um, Both my mom and dad, uh, along with a close friend, passed away last year. It was a year of many funerals. I have another one coming up next week. Um, The mother of one of the young people in our longtime Tuesday night um, sort of home church. Uh, Her mother died shockingly and suddenly. And so Bev and I are going to be not only attending the funeral, but she's uh, honored us by asking us to to conduct the graveside service uh, for her mom. So I've had a lot of exposure to death in the last year. This will be the, my fourth funeral in the in a, in a year. When my dad passed away, it was uh, he was not well, um, but he wasn't. It didn't appear that he was near death at all. He went into the hospital to have uh, some pneumonia treated. It was treated. And on the day that I was supposed to go pick him up and bring him home, my sister called me and said, we need to get there right away. Um, Something has happened and he's, he's failing. By the time we got there, I had about five or six minutes with my dad while he was still alive. I was holding his hand and praying for him when he took his last breath. And I that that moment is visceral for me now. Uh if you've experienced something similar, you know that it's a firsthand experience of one of the deep mysteries of life. What happens in that moment? What happens in the moment when you know the last breath has left his lungs? What what is happening. We know what's happening physically, but what's happening in the real world, <laughs> the unseen world. Jesus said, there's a, there's a world that's more real than the, than the physical world we live in. It's the unseen world. So what happens in that world in that moment? More than an hour later, we, had to, we were sort of forced to sit in, in this ICU room with my dad, my dad's body, um, because the hospital chaplain um, was not able to make it very quickly to the hospital. And so we needed to wait for him because there were some things that he did that were um, necessary as part of what happens after someone dies in a hospital. So we were sitting there for an hour, my myself, my wife, my sister, and her husband, and we couldn't leave. And um, when we finally were able to leave, I walked over to my dad's body and I I did something that um, I wanted to do, but I just didn't realize the ramifications it would have on me. I walked over to my dad's body and I kissed his forehead. Well, his forehead, of course, was so cold. And I remember still the feeling um, when I did that. It was, I have to say, shocking. Um, not mentally, I understand why, just the emotional impact on my soul was, was shocking. I, I still remember it to this day. I'll probably remember that feeling till the day I die. So our understanding of death and our fear of it really colors our life, doesn't it? Um, I mentioned that one of the young people in our group suddenly lost her mother. She was perfectly healthy she went in for minor surgery. She came home. She was coming out, You know, anesthesia stays with you for several days. So she was also on some pain medication from the surgery, but it was minor surgery. And her husband uh, went to wake her up in the middle of the night to take some more pain medication and she was unresponsive. And he had to do CPR on her, uh, got a pulse back. She was rushed to the hospital. She flatlined again. And then she was on life support until it was apparent that that she wasn't going to make it. So here's a, a young girl in college across, you know, 3000 miles away. And all of a sudden she, she, her dad is calling her saying, you've got to get on a plane now. And she rushes onto a plane and doesn't even know when she lands, if her mom is still going to be alive. And she did make it back while her mom was still alive. Um, but how could this happen? It was minor surgery. What happened? And all of a sudden, her mom, who she's so close to, is gone. Of course, we fear death. This is one of the worst things we can imagine, the scenario I just painted for you. So of course, it hangs over our our life like a shadow. How could it not? It plays along in the background of our life. I think it's it's kind of like a a, a film score that's haunting, playing in the background of our life narrative. So in Paul's letter to the Jesus followers in Rome, here's what he says about death. This is from Romans 5, 10 through 21. Since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of the son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God, because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. And then he gets into a deeper explanation. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given, but it was not counted as sin because there was not yet any law to break. Still Everyone died, from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even those who did not disobey an explicit commandment of God as Adam did. Now, Adam is a symbol or a representation of Christ who is yet to come. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and the gift of his forgiveness to many Through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation. But God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace in his gift of righteousness, For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners, but because one other person obeyed God, Many will be made righteous. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So, just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So, here we have the brilliant Paul. slowing down to explain the advent of death and how death spread like a virus. So think about death like a pandemic. Um, The COVID virus started in Wuhan, China. Uh, We don't know who the first person to get it was, but it was likely someone exposed in an open animal market in Wuhan, China. And that virus didn't take long to spread across the whole world because our immune systems weren't well-prepared to fight, fight against it. And therefore it did it, uh, quickly because of our connected world, that virus spreads all over the world and shuts down our, our society for three days, for almost three years and kills millions of people. Well, in a similar way, the virus that Adam introduces through the betrayal of adam and eve um, through their betrayal it introduces a virus that quickly spreads because mankind has no immune system for death so paul frames all of this in terms of a relational break in verse 18 he says adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone it means adam's exposure through betrayal to the virus of death brings death to everyone. Eventually it's a pandemic of death, but Christ's one act of righteousness, Paul says, brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. So here, Paul, brilliant Paul is saying the, the virus, the effect of it was to cut us off from relationship with God. And he is the source of all life. So death apart from a source of life is permanent. So what Adam's sin did was bring condemnation and death to everyone. And what Jesus did brings us back into a right relationship with God so that we can reattach to our source of life and find new life. What he's saying is that death, the pandemic of death, we now have uh, an immune system to it, and it's a right relationship with God that relationship is a bulwark against the progression of death in our lives so of course i just started off the podcast episode by telling you that i was i've been at four funerals in in the course of a year i've watched my my father die i was at my mom's bedside a few minutes after she died my friend um My friend died within 24 hours after the last time I saw him. So I'm well acquainted with the experience of death, and yet Paul is saying here um, that we've been reattached in relationship to God, and therefore the pandemic of death doesn't impact us anymore. So, of course, that doesn't mean physically. There's death every day. We see it on the news. We see it in our own circle But there's, again, in this unseen world that Jesus says is the more real world than than the seen world, something huge has happened to, to the pandemic of death in that world. So if we understand the way of Jesus relative to death, we'll also have a much deeper understanding of the upending way he related to people. Because of Jesus's understanding of death, it changed the way He related to people. And when we more deeply understand it through the lens of of him, we'll relate differently in our life as well. So let's start out with a question. Is death an enemy or a friend? Is death an enemy or a friend? So Jesus said, death, where's your victory? And he told us he's going to prepare a place for us on the other side of death. A place that is particularly created just for us, but also death was not a part of the original creation, and uh, of course Jesus is not uh, oblivious to the impact and the specter of death in our lives. So, is death an enemy or a friend? With my mom, let me frame it in the in in the context of my own story. With my mom. Uh, In the last year of her life, she was completely deaf. Her eyesight was was failing. She could no longer get out of bed without assistance. Even when she did get out of bed with assistance, she was only able to sit in a wheelchair for a short time. She ate most of her meals in bed. And when I would go to visit her, I had to communicate with her, um, writing very simple messages on a sheet of paper in big letters. We couldn't really have a conversation or a relationship of any kind. It was just almost like shooting cannonballs over a wall. Um, And and on each cannonball was a short message. (laughs) That was it. And um, soon into that year, when she was in this place, it haunted me how small her life was. It had been reduced down to a micro life. And I started to pray every day. That Jesus would take her, take her to be with him. Because I knew on the other side of this was life and, and the life she was living wasn't. But my mom wasn't ready to go. She made that clear. My mom was afraid of death. And uh, it it uh, I don't know because of our lack of being able to communicate how deeply that fear went. I just knew that she was afraid. And I believe that that when she did go, it was finally her able to say to Jesus, I'm ready. I'm no longer afraid. I want to come to you. So is is death an enemy or a friend? Well, it was both in my story with my mom. uh, As she was headed toward death, when I could still communicate to her, of course, um, I didn't want her to die. But when she crossed a certain line, I thought her life would be so much so much opened up to her and so much better if she did physically die and go to be with Jesus. So it was both an enemy and a friend in that situation. Um, so I think you could answer it both ways, That that death is an enemy in the broadest sense that sin introduced death into our reality. And death is is not a part of the life of God. That's what eternal life means. It means that life that continues forever. So you could say that death is an enemy because it was never intended to be part of creation. But you could also say death is a friend because through death, we enter into the presence of Jesus, into a life that, that will never end in his presence with others who we care about and love. So um, the question then is, as we grapple with our own relationship with death, because I'm assuming for most of us, uh, either listening or me talking right now, um, death very much feels like an enemy to me. I I don't want it. (laughs) Neither do you. Um, So while we yet live, what is our understanding of death? What do we believe about it? And do our beliefs about death map to the way that Jesus led his life? So just for context here, uh, to be a follower of Jesus means we're his apprentices. The name for that in, in the time of Jesus was Talmud, T-A-L-M-I-D, Talmud, a Talmud attached Himself to a rabbi, the rabbi had to choose the Talmud. This is just remember when Jesus said, You didn't choose me, I chose you. He's really talking about the rabbi-Talmud relationship. So when a when a Talmud attached himself to a rabbi, it was because the Talmud approached the rabbi and asked to be attached to him, and the rabbi had to choose him. And the choosing was a big deal because not every student who wanted to attach himself to a rabbi, and I keep saying himself because, of course, at the time, this was only open to males. Um, but of course, Jesus, we know, a, a talmud is open to all people, <laughs> not just males. But in his time, to be young men, and that, and the rabbi had to choose that talmud, and the rabbi could only take on a certain number of of talmuds. So some students who wanted to attach themselves to a rabbi couldn't, they weren't chosen. And Jesus says to us, I have chosen you. I want you to be my Talmud. So a Talmud, once they were paired with a rabbi, went to go live with that rabbi. They left their family behind and lived with the, with the rabbi. They ate their meals with them. They did followed the, the rabbi around. They not only learned... um, about the Torah and about the law from the rabbi, but they also learned a way of life. Um, So the goal was to get so close to that rabbi that they were infected by the way he thinks and acts. And this is also what Jesus is inviting us into, to be so close to him that his ways are all um, entwined in our own ways they they be, The two become one. So that includes all of the ways that Jesus um, responded to death, um, reacted to death, and expressed his own belief about death. So I thought it would be interesting for us to listen to a short interview segment with Bono he's the lead senior songwriter of the one of the most popular and influential rock bands in history u2 and as many know uh, bono's a a committed follower of jesus as are two others of his three bandmates uh, three bandmates so three of the four are are christians uh, following jesus and um bono at one point sat down for a series of interviews with uh, Professor David Taylor of Fuller Seminary. And in one of those interviews, um, Bono talks about death, and he talks about his own experience of death and what he has come to believe as he has lived his life. So let's pause here for a second and just listen to what Bono has to say about death.
1: I became an artist through the portal of grief. Yeah. My mother died at my, her own father's graveside. As he was being lowered into the ground, she had an aneurysm, I was 14. She left me, but she left me an artist. I began the journey, trying to fill the hole in my heart with music, Mm -hmm. with my mates, my bandmates. Mm -hmm. Finally, the only thing that can fill it is God's love. Mm -hmm. And it's a big hole, but luckily, there's a big love. It's like the wound never quite closes. So death is very important. But, you know, I went finally to Jerusalem on a family pilgrimage. And I went to Golgotha. And I went to uh, the site where I had some time on my own where death died. And I was like, wow, there it is. That's where death died. And so I don't really believe in it anymore. So it's not a, it has no power over me as it had when I was 14 years old. And it and it's, you know, it's unpleasant for the people we leave behind, or if we're left behind but it isn't unpleasant for the soul to now find its true meaning. You know, we look through the glass darkly, but then we shall see face to face. I wear colored lenses. I can't wait to get them off. I want to see. I want to see straight. Yeah. And, you know, that's that's a, a large part of our psychology, you know, is fear of death. So if you have that, dealt with, I think you can get on with life, yeah, yeah, a bit easier.
0: All right, there you have it. So so much in that short snippet that is uh, visceral for me. So Bono, Bono says he doesn't believe in death anymore. His encounter at, on the hill of Golgotha, and the recognition that he was standing in the place where death died translated into his life it did something in his life that led him to say he doesn't believe in death anymore well what does that mean he doesn't believe in death does jesus believe in death what what does that mean it's it's a fascinating question i think and i think implied in the context of what bono is saying is of course he knows that people will physically die but he doesn't believe in the permanence of death or the um, the fearsome prospect of death anymore as an end to something. Um, instead, he sees it as a transition into new life. And if it's truly a transition into new life, then why are we afraid? I remember there are many times where um, I was talking to someone um a friend in my life last year and they would ask about my mom and i had made a decision to not uh, to, to be real about where i was at with my mom's slow descent toward death and so i would tell people that actually every day i was praying that jesus would take her to be with him and some some people i'd say the minority Quickly understood and embraced what I was saying, but most people, the majority, were kind of taken aback by that because they were used to seeing death, especially death of a parent, as something that was horrifying and that you would fight in every way. And of course, the situation I uh, I was just I've just been in in the last week with this young girl who suddenly lost her mother. My wife and I um, went uh, to go visit our friend and her mother in the ICU. And when Bev and I uh, prayed over her, I told Bev in advance, I'm going to pray fighting prayers to fight for her life, to knock on the door of Jesus and to bring her back from the brink of death and to restore her to her family. And that's what we did. And that's what Bev did the other times that she went to go be with our friend and her mother uh, in the three days that she was in the ICU, so I said to Bev, "I have no problem fighting tooth and nail on behalf of life for someone." Um, and the fact that the mom, or the, this mom, passed away anyway doesn't change anything about that for me. And in a sense, I uh, she has she has gone to new life. Just as Bono's understanding um, on the hill of Golgotha, uh, she's gone on to new life. And just as he said in that interview, that's terrible for the people left behind. They have grief to deal with. But for the person, it's freedom. It's experiencing Jesus as he really is. It's incredible. So when Bono says he doesn't believe in death anymore, I think this is what he's really after here. So let's, let's take a little, a little dive into Jesus' relationship with death and how that impacts the way he lives and relates to others. So I thought it'd be interesting for us to just um, take a look at uh, a teaching that he gave. And at the center of it is a botanical metaphor about a kernel of wheat. It's from John chapter 12. I thought I'd read that, and then here's what I'd like you to think about as I'm reading. Um, Think about these three questions. What is Jesus' belief about death in this story? What must be true as a result of how you see Jesus relating to death? What must be true? If you notice how he relates to death, what must be true? And then the last question, what do you learn about his heart from this? What do you learn about his heart? That's the last question we always ask in any exploration of Jesus. What are we learning about his heart? How do we see his heart? We want to reveal the beauty of his heart because that's what ultimately attaches us to him. It's our... um It's our commitment to beauty in him. It's not a discipline. It's not a should. It's the magnetic attraction we have to the beauty of his heart. So the last question is always, what do you learn about his heart from this story? So again, the three questions I want you to think about as I read, what is Jesus' belief about death in this story? What must be true as a result of how you see Jesus relating to death? And what do you learn about his heart from this story? so let's uh, let's dive in to this story from John chapter twelve. Some Greeks who had come to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration paid a visit to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee. And they said, "Sir, we want to meet Jesus." And these are Greeks that are coming to one of Jesus' disciples. They want to see if they can if he can introduce them to Jesus. So Philip tells Andrew about it. And then the, together they go to, to ask Jesus if he will meet with these Greeks. And then Jesus, he says a funny, I mean, they're just asking, can these two Greeks meet with you? And Jesus says back to them a very unusual response. He says, well, now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. What? <laughs> What does that mean, Jesus? Can they come see you or not? But Jesus is very fixated right now on this moment in his life. It is not far now between where he is now and the cross. So his first response is um, maybe you don't understand. The time is now for me to enter into my glory. Things are in motion. So he continues I tell you the truth. Unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful plentiful harvest of new lives. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Anyone who wants to serve me must follow me because my servants must be where I am and the Father will honor anyone who serves me. Look, now my soul is deeply troubled. Should I pray, Father, save me from this hour? But this is the very reason I came. Father, bring glory to your name. Then a voice from heaven saying, I have already brought glory to my name, and I will do so again. Well, when the crowd heard the voice, some thought it was thunder, while others declared an angel had spoken to him. Then Jesus told them, That voice was for your benefit, not mine. The time for judging this world has come when Satan, the ruler of this world, will be cast out. And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. He said this to indicate how he was going to die. And the crowd responded, um, We understood from Scripture that the Messiah would live forever. How can you say that the Son of Man will die? just who is the Son of Man anyway? Jesus replied, my light will shine for you just a little longer. Walk in the light while you can, so the darkness will not overtake you. Those who walk in darkness cannot see where they are going, so put your trust in the light while there's still time. Then you will become children of the light. And after saying these things, Jesus went away and was hidden from them. Okay, a couple of things before we get to our question. So I I said at the beginning. This is a little little bit of a strange story. Hey, Jesus, a couple of Greeks want to meet with you. So Jesus clearly is is in the midst of um, teaching to a crowd when he's approached by Philip and Andrew. Um, And so essentially what, what they do is interrupt him and say, hey, these Greeks want to see you. And Jesus is aware that he's about to enter into a moment That is the biggest moment in the history of the world. Actually, the biggest moment in the history of time is about to happen. And everything depends on it. There is so much that is dependent on what is about to happen. And Jesus knows he's at the fulcrum of all of this. And he knows he must freely choose this path. His father is not forcing him. Because the kingdom of God is all about invitation. No, his father isn't forcing him. He's choosing it. And he knows that his choosing of this, everything hangs in the balance on that choice. So, of course, he is distracted by the massive thing that is about to happen. This is where his head's at. He knows it's a short time now until this happens. And it's almost like Philip and Andrew are asking him to go have coffee with someone. And Jesus is saying, well, look, I'm, I'm on mission right now. I, I'm, I've got blinders on. I can't really think about that right now. And he says in a, such a very honest way in verse 27, now my soul is deeply troubled. Should I pray, Father, save me from this hour? But this is the very reason I came. So Father, bring glory to your name. So here Jesus is living out loud wrestling match that's inside should he ask his father to save him not just from the brutality of the execution he's about to undergo but separation relational separation from him which he knows is going to happen as part of that it's the it's 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 a horror to have to look into that and so he's asking rhetorically should i should i ask my father to save me no it's the very reason i came." And then he embraces his mission, Father, bring glory to your name. And his father, in response, with such passion and love and tenderness toward his son, says, I've already done that. I've already brought glory to my name. He's really saying, um, the, the experience people have of you is bringing glory to me. When they taste and see who you are, they want to worship me because you have shown them who I am you have revealed the heart of God to people who were hungering for relationship with him but had a distorted view of who he is so the glory that has been brought to his name is all because of what Jesus has done and that voice says and I will bring glory to it again by the way that he dies and the way that he's resurrected and the way the spirit of Jesus then um, is accessible to us. The way the spirit of Jesus takes up residence in our own soul over and over, the presence of Jesus and the spirit within us will bring glory to God because they will reveal the truth about his heart. And when we see the truth of God's heart, it brings to him glory because his heart is glorious. So Jesus tells the crowd, you know, that voice was for your benefit, not for mine. Um, and here's, what's about to happen. The ruler of the world's going to be cast out. And when I'm lifted up, I'll draw everyone to myself, meaning this cancer, this, this virus, this pandemic of death, um, it's about to be overcome because I will, what I'm about to do will draw everyone to me and they will now have a source of life once again. Life will win. Life over death. So the crowd responds like, uh, I thought the messiah was <laughs> I thought the Messiah was supposed to live forever. They're confused now because they still haven't fully realized or fully embraced that Jesus is the Messiah. And so Jesus doesn't even answer that. He The way he answers is kind of sideways, My light will shine for you just a little longer. Walk in the light while you can." <laughs> So he's, he's saying, oh, look, I've already told you who I am. I've actually said it repeatedly, and I've showed you by the things that I've done. It's clear who I am. So look, I, I'm not going to go back over this again. The light that you have in me is just going to be with you a little bit longer. So pay attention to it. Walk inside that light while you can, so the darkness won't overtake you. Um, if the darkness overtakes you, you, you can't see where you're going. So trust me, he says trust me while there's still time stop dithering about this you've seen enough trust what you see trust what you experience so to close off here let's let's look at these questions i asked you to think about but what is jesus belief about death in this story well we know from his direct experience with it that he's about to have that death is is a fearsome thing um the idea that we pass through this portal, of course, is scary. And Jesus himself acknowledges, of course, it's scary. No one waltzes through the portal into death. It's it's a scary thing. But he's also explaining in his little metaphor that unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and die, dies, it remains alone, but its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. So he's saying here that, and this is something that is true in the kingdom of God, um in in death new life comes in death new life comes i've even planted it in the patterns of 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 nature and creation a seed in the ground dies but in its death it produces a bountiful harvest of of new life those who love their life in this world will lose it he says but those who care nothing for this life their life in this world will keep it for eternity So he's saying there's a kind of death that we go through every day where we lay down our own autonomy, our own desire to control, and instead attach ourselves to him. We lay down our own source of life and reattach to his source of life. That's death to life. And of course, it has a double meaning too. It means that as we do that and attach ourselves to him, we are already living in eternal life. Death then is nothing. We're already attached to a source of life that our life will continue. It will continue forever. So he's both aware of its immediate impact and the fear surrounding it. There's no He's no Pollyanna about it. But he's also, there's a macro reality that death is about to be destroyed. As Bono said, Golgotha is the place where death died, so we no longer have to believe in the power of death in our lives. The second question is, what must be true as a result of how how you see Jesus relating to death? So what must be true is that death is a way station. Yes, death is fearsome, but what must be true is that death leads to a life more abundant than we experience now. That the that in fact a an unbelievable abundance of life springs out of death, a life that we can't even imagine now. So sometimes when we think about crossing through the portal of death into, into life in heaven, we think of it as you know, harps and angels singing and basically boring stuff. But what Jesus is saying is the 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 life that you experience will be bountiful. Magnified, um, uh, a big, sweet, juicy fruit of life that we'll experience, um, when the kernel dies, and metaphorically, that's true also before our physical death, as we lay ourselves down and detach ourselves from our own man made sources of life and reattach to Him, we experience a bounty of life right now, um. For some of us who have been hanging on to our own sources of life for so long that we can't imagine what it would be like to lay those down i can say that um, as you begin to do that as i have begun to do in my life um and maybe you have begun to do in yours you start to see sources that new source of life bring fruit you never imagined um on this side of our physical death so what must be true as a result of how we see Jesus relating to death in, in, in this uh, little teaching, what must be true is that life goes on, and that for those who attach themselves to him, they experience a great bound to full of life. The third question is, what do you learn about his heart from this story? Well, a couple of quick observations. Um, what we learn is that he's real. We, his heart understands how troubling death is because his heart experienced the deepest trouble in facing his own death. When uh, Jesus arrives to raise Lazarus from the dead, and he's already been in the tomb for three days, and he sees the the grieving friends and family all around the tomb, he weeps. Why does he weep? He knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He already knows this. He's going to call him back from death into life. So he's not weeping because of Um, Lazarus is gone for good, he's weeping because of the the terrible grief people are experiencing because their friend Lazarus has died. So we know Jesus grieves. We know Jesus understands how deeply um, troubling and disruptive and damaging um, experiencing people that we love um, dying, uh, he knows what that brings. And he knows what the specter of death is in our lives as well. So he's real about it. So we know about his heart that he's real. He understands. He's not preaching at us about our fear about death. But at the same time, we know his heart is the same heart who said, don't worry. I'm going ahead of you to prepare a place for you, a special place for you. So when you get there, you're going to love it because I've had a lot of time to get your room ready. That's the heart of Jesus. He understands that it's a scary thing for us, but he also understands on the other side of that, the the beauty in life that awaits us. And that's why, as Bono said, we don't have to believe in death anymore. If there's a higher belief, and the higher belief is Jesus's heart about death, there's a higher belief we can trust that heart that on the other side of this is something beautiful and good. And on the other side of the little deaths that we experience in our everyday life, there is something deeply good to close. Let's repeat together the words of Paul um, quoted in the prophet Hosea in his letter to the Jesus followers in Corinth. So Paul in, in his, in his letter to the uh, followers of Jesus in Corinth, quotes Hosea, and here's what he says. I'm going to read it twice, the second time. Maybe if you're alone, driving in a car or something, you can say it with me. So here's the first time. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where's your sting? All right, let's say it again together. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? You said it, Paul. Well, this is Paying Ridiculous Attention to Jesus. Um, Again, it's it's Season 8, Episode 1. It's a podcast from ricklawrence.com. You can subscribe on Google Play or iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll see you again in a couple of weeks.